Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the, living in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I guess and I enjoy playing, to dig into big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. 2021 is now long dead and gone. Lo- long may it remain in the grave. Uh, and we have moved on to another exciting year and an exciting new phase of a global pandemic. And Yes, that has made some pretty big changes uh, to the way that we play games, and I'm sure that's going to come in once or twice as part of this conversation. But as uh, this school year for me has ended, uh, in Australia, our school year ends at the end of December and then resumes at the end of January, I'm actually on summer vacation, and you may hear it in my voice. I am a little bit more relaxed and a little less burnt out uh, than perhaps the last couple of episodes of Cast Dice have indicated because I've actually been able to sleep in and spend some time thinking about hobby and it's just been glorious. But on top of that, it's been really exciting because I've actually sat down and played some games. Now, now that Omicron is sort of tuning up, I'm playing a little bit less, um, mainly because I'm a little nervous to be around human beings. But I, I have actually played some games, and it's been lovely to do that, and it has really reinvigorated me and my hobby, and it has actually led to a really big problem of me standing in my hobby room last night and looking at three separate drawers of projects that I'm currently working on and not knowing what to paint next. And so helping me with that today uh, and talking about uh, square bases because we have uh, both been sort of infected by our good buddy Nick Beattie is of course one of my favorite people to have on the show, quite possibly the the nicest guy. And by saying that I don't mean like, oh here, win the game, like genuinely one of the greatest human beings I know. Jermaine, welcome back to Cast Dice. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. That's a ultra nice intro. Thank you so much, man. You're too kind. <laughs> no, I'm not. You are too kind, and I only have a microphone. Brother, um, you have been a hobby machine throughout lockdowns. Now, I had you on, I believe, the last in August, and you and I did yep. talk about uh, you preparing to play some Squarebase games, uh, mm-hmm. specifically... Warhammer 6th Edition. Now, yes. I know that you've been regularly appearing on uh, on uh, Nick's podcast to talk about, you know, the preparation for that and the things that you've been doing as far as playing games and painting armies. But can you just talk to us a little bit about that process? Because it is strange uh, for a lot of gamers to get together with a group of people and over the span of eight to, I guess, six to eight months to paint up an entire army. And fantasy armies aren't small for a quote-unquote dead game system during a lockdown. This is pretty wild. Can you talk us through this? Because I think it's really cool. Yeah, cool, man. So I think I think the last time we spoke, I think I was just about to start. Right. I think I was just about to start, and I think I was talking about 
how I was going to use the miniatures from the hate Kickstarter Mm -hmm. uh, from Adrian Smith. So I had those models laying around. They weren't doing anything, literally just sitting there. Mm -hmm. So I was going to use those models, which I have. So I got started and I'm now, we have a sort of uh, a weekend away on the 28th of this month, Mm -hmm. which is going to be awesome. And my arm is done. My arm is done. You are a machine. It's taken me like three plus years to paint, literally three plus years to paint my G.I. Joe army. And a good chunk of that three years, I've done nothing but paint that G.I. Joe army. (laughs) And it's like one of your units in your chaos army. That's crazy. It's... It was pretty crazy. I didn't expect to get through it as quickly as I did, to be honest. But the hate models do the work for me. They're really easy models to paint. They are really, really detailed for for one mold plastic models. They're very impressive and they got a great range too. So I think my list building essentially revolved around what I had in that box. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to paint up what I thought looked cool. Um, and then just make a list so that I could use those cool models. So it, it was my first time with square basing as well. Mm-hmm. So I ordered a whole bunch of square bases from Back to Basics in yeah. South Australia. I mm-hmm. think they're from. So I ordered a heap of those, uh, cut these guys off. They're, they're already round bases, uh, painted them up and had a really good time painting them. I mean, through, through that lockdown, which was our longest one mm-hmm. here in Victoria, that definitely... Um, yeah, you know, obviously I had the the time to do it. So, but, you know, doing hobby chats with the guys, you know, being a part of Nick's podcast, dudes talking about toy soldiers was really good. Thank you. I actually am looking at my notes that says dudes talking about <laughs> toy soldiers was like, I really should have plugged that earlier. I mean, clearly Nick's been on the show before and plugged that and you have as well, but you have been a regular on that show since it started. Uh, and you've been on the last couple, obviously with the fantasy content. Uh, and yeah. yeah, awesome stuff. Love it. Uh, if you are a cast ice listener, uh, if you have not checked out dudes talking about toy soldiers, <clears throat> it's one of the podcasts I listen to, uh, when it comes out, which is pretty regularly these days. Um, just be aware, not around children. Um, definitely not around kids. Definitely not. Uh, Corey's on that show. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to be throwing shade at Corey quite a bit because, uh, he deserves it anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he does. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk later about it, but he's Doom Seekers. Yeah, he deserves, he deserves it. it. And they're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as someone yeah. who played 6th edition, Doom Seekers are awful. But, dude, that in alone, in and of itself, is a big step because rank and flank games don't often play like other games. Like, I grew up playing a series of games, um, most of which revolved around you know, moving units up a board um, and sort of the amoeba-ish shape of unit coherency that we all know from games like Warhammer 40,000 up through the editions, et cetera, et cetera. But to, the first time I really sat down to play rank and flank game, which I think was fourth ed fantasy, it totally caught me off guard. Like I just couldn't, It it, it was almost like playing chess. Like you had to, really consider moves in a way that in more traditional movement you just don't have because you need to keep in mind where your opponent's going to be and if you charge in and you get stuck someone else can come in and hit you in your flank which is where you're more vulnerable and sure you need to think about that in you know 
games like Bolt Action and Warhammer 40,000 and Star Wars Legion where, you know, the sides or rear of your vehicle may have lighter armor and if people are shooting at it, that's a, a, an easier way to penetrate that. But it's like to the next level because almost everything on the table has that situation going on. Um, plus you have not only shooting phases, but often with these games you have magic phases. There is just a lot to it. And it's not, I wouldn't say necessarily more it's just a different way of thinking and as someone who's new to this i mean you jumped in both feet painted your army and then you <laughs> played so yeah, how has that experience been because I, it was a big jump for me to get there and yeah. i have never claimed to be good at square base slash rank and flank games but i enjoy the hell out of it right it's a different experience yeah. how's your experience been it was number one. I was very nervous because I thought, if I don't like this game, <laughs> this is, I've just wasted a lot of my time. Exactly. Thank goodness, Longstar. No, I do. I do really enjoy six. I really do. I really do. As you alluded to before, it is super different from any other war games I have played. This is my very first rank and flank game, and the learning curve can be quite steep. I, mm -hmm. I think the what you said before in comparison to chess is pretty apt. The movement is i mean movement's important in all war games but it is just so important in sixth and getting your charges off um unless you go against Corey, who's got strikes first and stuff that gets around that but he's i think person. we will be throwing a lot of shade at Corey in this <laughs> <laughs> if so getting your charges off first is, is just so important the last game i had with nick and the crew was really good because they showed me little tricks about how you can get into someone's flank mm -hmm. by misdirecting them with another unit. Mm -hmm. That's so what those chaos hounds are for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I started to see. So when I started to see the game like that, it did kind of, you know, had that opening up kind of moment where you look at it and now it makes a bit more sense. It makes a bit more sense. Cause I thought well, we're starting on either side of the board. Aren't we eventually just going to run into each other? Mm-hmm. Not like that. Nope. It is very, very different. Your your movement is so critical. Having to declare your charges first is very interesting. Yeah. Because in six, you declare your charge, then you go to like your compulsory moves, and then your normal moves. So the order of things is a bit is a bit um, caught me off guard. And but... heaven forbid you fail that charge. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that that has happened, and I've been on the receiving end. Uh, when that did happen and that that can be quite rough yeah. so but yeah definitely a learning curve you know playing something like uh age of sigma <laughs> yeah they're very different six. animals right very different very very different because age of sigma you can sort of wrap your dudes around you can sort mm. of trap people that way whereas with six yeah if you you know if you get stuck with some hounds and you're out of position and someone gets into your flank or heaven forbid the, the rear where I think you get plus two to your combat res. Yeah. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. Yeah. It's, and it can be really unforgiving. I forgot I've in preparing to play with you guys. I've been looking through the rule book and because sixth was, I played some fourth. I played more fifth. Sixth was the addition besides eighth that I think I definitely played the most of um, and I played a lot when it first came out because I was uh, in Boston uh, hanging out with my friends at Danger Planet Games, and they had a slow-grow league to kick off the edition coming out. 
Then I went to back to work for Workshop, and my uh, housemate at the time, Anthony Nelson, uh, he just loved fantasy, and it was when the Sixth Ed uh, Chaos book came out, and I loved Chaos Warriors, so I ended up playing Chaos Warriors and Chaos Dwarves, which got the update in the Ravening Hordes, which was the Yep. The book of army lists at the beginning of that edition. So I was like, oh my God, I have a, I have an army and I have rules. I'm going to play all the time. And so I, having looked through all that, I forgot how much psychology was an important part of that edition. I also forgot that when you charge someone, if you wipe out their front rank, they don't get to attack you back. That's huge. Um yeah. I, I, I found that out the hard up. way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's that's an eighth, I think, or it's in another edition where you other people in the back of the unit step forward and they get to attack. That's not how it works in six. And also in six, psychology, be it fear, be it terror, be it um, just failing a basic morale check, is deadly. Um, yeah. And it, it's I think it's a far more pardon the pun here because I'm talking about psychology. I think it's a more cerebral cerebral gaming experience. Like you really need to think about what your your units are going to do and where they're going before they get there. Otherwise, you're going to end up. You can't just push it forward. Or you're going to have a real hard time. Yes. Yeah. I I definitely agree. Yeah. The like I have failed some some terror checks <laughs> that have been brutal, and you know I've had my guys flee and get caught <laughs> getting caught when you're fleeing is brutal feels bad uh, i had to i had to do a double take when, I, <laughs> when nick caught my guys fleeing and he goes yeah they're just gone man and i went can you elaborate on that nick does that mean <laughs> i just take this block here that took me about 15 hours to paint i just take that off the whole block and he's like yeah man the whole block and i'm like huh that's how this game works yep that that doesn't feel good <laughs> It's brutal. It it's brutal, but I kind of like that too because things die in droves. It's one of the things I enjoy about 30k. Yeah, is exactly. at the end of the game, you're not left with much. You're left with a couple of units. You're not left with much. Yeah, it reminds me of the last time I played in a big 40k event. I played Orcs, and I think I had a I, I, I totaled it up, and at the end of the first day, I think out of all my games, I think I had something like 25 Orcs left on total and i won all three of those games and was like and my army had like 120 orcs to start with and it was just like every game it was just a meat grinder and i was just feeding my opponent orc upon orc upon orc and mass but at the end it was like i think i have like 10 dudes left there was one game where i had four guys huddled on an objective and i just happened like happened to win but you know i was thinking is this actually a victory? Is this? I mean, yes. <laughs> but it, it's super deadly, right? Um, and yeah. I know 30K is famous for it. Ah, oh, 20 Marines, dead. Next. Pretty uh, much, yeah. 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 What's that? A large, you know, a large template that's the size of a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Gone. <laughs> yeah. just, Everything. Just gone. remove all that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's enjoyable. And as you said, I think it is a bit more cerebral. I've definitely noticed... A lot of war games have this, but this more than others, where it's what am I willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. to get into that person's flank? Like, am I willing to sacrifice these 16 marauders so my chosen can hit this dude's flank real hard? So I kind of like that too. I, I like that tough choice. I, I enjoy that with the war games. 
I also, I'm thinking back to some of those games in sixth and seventh. Seventh, I think more because of it had more of a hero hammer feel. But I definitely remember thinking, okay, what am I going to put in front of my opponent's super scary units to keep them going in this direction, even if it means yep. running them straight through the middle of my army, just because then they are destroying my cheapest units and my other expensive things. Like, I'm just going to ignore that mess. By the time yep. it comes out the other side of my army, runs off the board, and then comes back on facing the other direction, hopefully I will have done bad things to the rest of their army. But it's just like, how am I going to stop that one unit and just do my other stuff. I know I think that is more of a seventh ed problem, but um, yeah, that was always one of those situations was like, Oh God, what can I sacrifice? But that is just the nature of the beast. Right. And I guess that would be what would happen <clears throat> on a tabletop or a, yeah. in a battlefield then. Uh, life is I think so. Yeah, I think so. And the, um, you know, if you've got a unit fleeing, if you've got a unit, another unit, I think it's within six off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, they too have to take a morale check mm -hmm. because they're just seeing their, you know, like if you're if you're a marauder and you've just seen the chosen warriors of chaos running the other direction, exactly. you are going to question whether you should still be there or not. I do love that orcs and goblins have the have that rule where they ignore and the chaos dwarves have it with um with hobgoblins as well and they're just like yeah don't care they're not yeah. worth it you know whatever but the other yeah. way around if the orcs or the chaos dwarves are running everyone's running oh that's cool I didn't know there was that that rule that is cool yeah, yeah. that's very fluffy I like that yeah it's fun so well what you're talking about though has actually reminded me of another game that we talked about on this podcast got a year and a half ago uh it was two moves ago before i moved two house moves since then but oathmark by joseph mccullough is another rank and flank game and during this lockdown i got together with our old buddy john uh, who helped us with the bolt action chinese content on the show and we sat down to play oathmark and i owned it i had armies it was all ready to go and because of lockdowns i just never actually played and John, to his credit, you know, said, hey, I want to play this. Let's do it. And he bought a ton of really old Warhammer models. Like, I think third ed, second ed, orcs Ooh, and wow. goblins. I mean, ancient, before my time. And he's been lovingly stripping them and then repainting them beautifully. Uh, and so... He's about halfway through his army, but he's doing it unit by unit. And because he's slow painting it, he's I was able to play against a fully painted army um, that, you know, he put on the tabletop of orcs and goblins of these gaudy old school colors and these tiny, tiny orcs and tinier, <laughs> tinier goblins. I couldn't believe how small they were. And I mean, I, I love how old hammer models are smaller. I, I just I love the old scale. But those are small for Old Hammer. Um, but it was wonderful to line them up and to play a game against that. It just it took me way back to my early days in fantasy. But the rules felt great. Just like in Warhammer 6th edition, uh, you get only the front rank fights. And ranks are set at 5. So when you attack with someone, you both get to roll 5 dice. Now, like a lot of Joseph McCullough games... Rather than rolling to hit and then rolling to wound, just like in games like Stargrave, Frostgrave, Silver Bayonet, you 
you've combined all of that into one roll. And so you roll five dice, your opponent rolls five dice, you then figure out the results, and then that determines who won the combat. It's a lot less die rolling. In some cases, it might take a couple extra seconds on math because there's more modifiers to get rid of that extra die roll. But it is a seamless, after you've played it for a couple of turns, it became you know, effortless. And it was just a quick discussion, like trying to figure out to hit modifiers in bolt action. It's like, okay, plus two, uh, or sorry, plus one for being point blank, uh, minus one because I moved, this sort of thing. Like just tink, 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 done. Okay, this is what I need. And then you figure it out. It was a really great system. But unlike Warhammer Fantasy VI, if you beat your opponent, they become disordered, which almost is, you know, you don't actually, they don't run right away. But if you get hit a second time, they're destroyed. So it's almost like you get that second chance. But then if you mess up, they're gone. So when you get that second chance, is there a negative to that? Yeah. Oh, to yeah. You attacking. Yeah. Yeah. They they definitely they have negative modifiers. Um, okay. You have a harder time activating them because before any unit does anything, you need to roll to activate them based off their leadership score. And again, it's one of those things that it doesn't always sound super intuitive the way I'm describing it. But Joseph McCullough makes a really elegant set of rules every time he sits down and this played very smoothly i have to say it felt really good the magic had had an impact on the board i was happy that i had mages but it also didn't cripple things as far as you weren't deleting units left right and center it felt right and in many ways in my preparation to play sixth oathmark felt pretty good now The big difference here, and I'm sorry that you haven't played Oathmark, Jermaine, you're just listening to me tattle tattle about it, is the way that the armies are built. Now, in 6th edition, you have uh, a certain percentage of your army. Oh, no, not percentage. Now I'm getting confused with 8th edition. You um, have the force organization chart, right? So you 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 can take so many lords, you can take so many heroes, you can take so many special units, so many rare units, but you have to take a certain number of core units, right? And so you have to pay the core, get that on the table, have a general, and then everything else, you have limits on how many you can take to prevent you from just taking the biggest, baddest, scariest things all the time. Oathmark is, there are, so it's it's a fantasy world where there's no black powder. So you have all the traditional tropes that you would expect. Uh, in the basic core rules, you get elves, dwarves, orcs and goblins, and humans. And there's some other um, classic monsters sort of thrown in there as far as giants, dragons, et cetera, et cetera. Trolls, you get the idea. And you build your army based on your kingdom. So there's actually a little pregame game where you need to build a narrative kingdom. And there are rules for this. And just like in campaign games that I've played in the past, um, you know, there'll be like a mine and there will be a city and then there will be plains or a forest. And you pick the different areas of your kingdom to make your kingdom. And then the units that you can take are based on what might come from there. So if you have a mine, for example, you can take heavier knights or guys with heavier armor because they'll have the the ore, the metals, to make those. So, again, it's far more elegant than I'm making it sound. 
but it's really cool. Um, it also allows you to mix and match between races if you want to do that. John played straight orcs and goblins. I played straight humans right out of the book. And if you are sort of staying within your race, it really does mean that you can take almost anything that you wanted um, without going to crazy edge case extreme armies as far as unit types. But I was comfortable within the quote-unquote parameters to take a human army that had three foot units, one heavy, uh, a couple units of heavy knights, um, some lighter horsemen, and a couple other bells and whistles like wizards and heroes and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I want to play it again um, because I'm not sure we got everything right when we were playing, but damn, it was fun. That that actually sounds really good. I'd, mate, I'd give it a crack with you because that, the whole list-building aspect of that sounds really fun. Oh, super good. It was, yeah. And it it is nice, um, again, to have everything sort of have its own movement profile that's different, which I know is a lot like fantasy. It's not just all generalized. Um, but each race absolutely had their own feel. Uh, the dwarves, of course, were slow and sort of uh, tough. The elves have really high leadership, so they almost always pass what they're trying to do. We, meanwhile, the orcs can hit like a truck, but getting them to do what you want them to do on the tabletop, <laughs> just like if you're an actual orc general, I suppose, isn't that easy. Banners make a difference. Your general's leadership makes a difference. Uh, you know, trolls are awesome, but getting them to do something isn't always the easiest. Uh, because they are, you know, big and stupid. Like, it felt really good to play out on the tabletop. And I know I was playing against old Citadel models, and I was using my Warhammer Fantasy 6th Ed Chaos Army that I mentioned earlier. I was running that, and it felt right. In my head, I was playing the Warhammer world, not the Oathmark world. But it, 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 it hit all the right buttons. It ticked all the boxes. Okay, cool. And again, it was pretty elegant with the way that it played. It, it was a nice streamlined rank and flank game, and I definitely want to play it again. Although they did put out, they put out several expansions with extra campaign rules, but they've also put out an undead faction book, and they've also put out um, a book with you know some extra new characters and chariots. And I'm like, oh, I do like a chariot. So uh, we'll have to see. But hell yeah, man. If you ever are down for a game, uh, i super down. So if you have not looked it up, guys, Oathmark, a lot of fun. Definitely worth checking it out. But that is a living, breathing game. Jermaine, uh, I have been dabbling back and forth with old, silly games for a long time, both for podcast content and just because I'm a sucker for nostalgia. <laughs> What's it like? I mean, I know from talking with you off air that this is the first time that you've looked at a quote unquote dead game system. Um, it is. How, <laughs> how was that experience for you? Because you get used to, I mean, I, and I will, I'm going to jump in here and then I'll jump back to you. The, when I work for games workshop and sales, and yes, I know I've said it a million times. Um, we intentionally had sales releases every week of the year to allow uh, the company to call up uh, independent retailers and say, hey, I have new products to sell you this week, and to give those stores a reason 
to buy. Now, it wasn't so cynical and it was like, buy, buy, buy. It was also to give customers a reason to come into the shops to buy that product. And it Games Workshop had set up this, this perpetual motion machine, like a shark that never stops swimming. I don't mean it to sound so <clears throat> grim, um, <laughs> but it, by creating that never-ending cycle of new releases, you do train the people in that hobby to always being on the lookout for something new. And this is something that they've accelerated, if not uh, you know, 10 times, 100 times since I worked for the company, because now additions are coming out faster, for better or for worse. You know, there's definite positive sides to that. I'm not complaining. Additions uh, uh, have far more cod- codices in them and army books in them now. And they're doing almost constant FAQs to quote unquote level and fix the game, um, you know, based on player feedback, which is great. But there's a never ending cycle and it can lead to, you know, you needing a bunch of things from a a bunch of places. People sometimes refer to that as rules bloat. Um, But if you are really engaged with the community, it's a living, breathing, you know, game system, and it really does change. I mean, we see that with um, Marvel Crisis Protocol. We see that with Star Wars Legion. Game companies are interacting with fans more and more and more and more often, and it's leading to far more regular changes than previously, both through social media and through release schedule. And so we are... uh, trained into thinking you know what's coming what's coming what's coming what's coming to get off that and to look at a system that is hard dead and gone and is like two editions back how has that been for you it was a hard sell at first because as you said you do get trained into thinking well if it's gone it's it's not something that i'm going to look at so it's it's funny you did mention that because yeah, you do get trained into looking out for the new shiny toy. So when Nick spoke to me about it at first, I went, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. That's <laughs> crazy. And then here I am a few months later with, with all this painted stuff. Um, but the way that happened was he's like, look, give it a shot. Have a look. He, he's, he actually got me. His hook was, his hook was, if you imagine Age of Sigma as 40K, uh, this is the 30k to what age of it's, this is this is the 30k of fantasy games and he got me there yeah <laughs> and he got me there because he knows how much i love 30k <laughs> so he got me there so i started to look i started to look and one of the big hooks at the start was the artwork which funnily enough adrian smith who drew all the um stuff for the hate kickstarter which mm-hmm. are the models i'm using actually drew a lot of the older Warhammer stuff, both 30K and Fantasy. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the artwork, including the cover on the Chaos, on the Hordes of Chaos book. That's right. Is his artwork, which is really cool. So that's a weird kind of synergy that's happened that I'm using, (laughs) I'm using an Adrian Smith army that isn't for Chaos, but matches Chaos to a T. So that was one thing. Another thing that pushed me into it was, you know, wanting to use these hate models. But, um, you know, so obviously I painted the army, you know, happy with the game. One really refreshing thing is the fact that I am not getting assaulted with weekly changes, mm-hmm. weekly, this is coming out, this is the next rumor. That has died down, which I actually found is really, really nice. 
really yeah. nice not having to not having to think if what you've bought they're going to change in three months or six months or in a year's time or by it's the time nice. you finished painting the army <laughs> exactly because they come out with them quick i think for a codex now i think it's about two weeks later the errata comes out for them so it's 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 a quick turnaround so to have something that is quote unquote dead and and gone has actually been really refreshing and really nice because there is no more changes coming. This is it. What mm -hmm. we've got is what we've got. You don't have to worry about that stuff. So that's been good. That's been nice. And I wasn't expecting that, that part to be such a positive thing, but it is. It's also kind of fun to go hunting down the pieces. Oh, um, it is. Not only the models, right? But finding the books, digging it through is. old white dwarves. Uh, yeah. it, it feels like you're stepping back in time. At least for me, I have incredible nostalgia for that era in particular. And so for me to go back to some of those, I just, it, it's just joy. I just open them up and it just, I, I smile and the smell of the old books and the magazines, it just, mm. it brings me so much, you know, fond remembrance just to, to, to go through those. But you didn't have that. For you, no. this is a fresh experience. So what's that like? No. So I, I had nothing. I had nothing. I didn't have models or I had the hate stuff, but I didn't have any of the books. So <laughs> I didn't have the rule book or anything. So I did a bit of hunting around and I got a Hordes of Chaos book from, I think, oh, I can't remember the name of the place. They deal in secondhand books. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was an Australian website, but it was not. It's um, it's an international website. So that, so that book took, a month or two to mm -hmm. to get here but when it did it was awesome because i've got you know i've got the hordes of chaos book i've got an empire's book and i've got the main rule book and with this one i got super lucky so i was talking to a buddy of mine marcus mm -hmm. and he said oh i saw you you're painting that that hate box he goes what's that for i go oh it's for sixth edition fantasy and he goes man i think i might actually have the rule book in a couple of um books for it he went and checked for me and he actually had the sixth edition rule book and this empire book on his yeah. shelf uh i purchased it from marcus and this book like marcus takes absolute care with his stuff mm -hmm. so this sixth edition rule book that i've got i'll show you when we go away to aluka it looks like it's just come off the retail shelf <laughs> it looks amazing yeah, that's awesome. it looks amazing. I've got I've got books that I've bought recently that don't look as good as this book. Right. So, oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, I had a similar experience in that I was working off of uh, a PDF that a friend sent me uh, for the old cast book because not to be grim, but, uh, you know, I, what, 11, 11 years ago, I went through a divorce and, you know, it was it was the most amicable divorce ever. I'm still friends and friendly with my ex-wife. It's not a problem. But I went through a, a period where I had to downsize my collection, which was completely outrageous at that point. In the process, I got rid of all my white dwarves, literally every single issue. I got rid of all my old dead army books. And, you know, it. I cringe to say that in a, in a low moment in needing to clear things out desperately to move in a very short period of time, you know, when I wasn't necessarily in the bed, best headspace, I actually filled a recycling bin, one of those big yellow wheelie bins with old army books, white doors, oh. and everything else. Yeah, it kills me to think about now. And I mean, second ed, 40K, third ed, 40K codexes, like all of them gone. 
And so it for me, it's a little painful to be like, oh, God, I had all of that. And now I don't know where it is. Like I, I, as far as like, I don't know where I can find it. Um, but uh, Drew, the uh, the guy I do the Star Wars podcast, uh, Beyond the Fifth, uh, sorry, Beyond the First Marker, um, was like, oh, I have the Chaos book. I'm never going to use this here. And so I have his, and just like Marcus, uh, Drew kept his in immaculate condition. And so it it, it is, feels so good. You know, the spine actually cracked in a few places when I was opening oh it, God. like in a new book way, and was like, this book is 20 years old, and it's doing this. Amazing. It has led to a little bit of a problem, though. Uh, and I think you've watched me do this. Now, I have <laughs> terrible hobby ADD on a good day. As you all know, listening to this show and what I do uh, from episode to episode, but this process of getting ready for the January event is killing me because I have a mostly painted uh, Orcs and Goblins army. I have an entirely painted Warriors of Chaos army, as I've just talked about. I have multiple demon armies fully painted, ready to go. I have a half-painted Chaos Dwarf army um, that part of it was painted by Alistair Unicom from the Home Guard Radio cast that is just outstandingly gorgeous, and I can paint match the rest kind of to get there. And I had all these projects and I've just been jumping from one to another, to another, to another, to the point where I then was going through boxes to find bits and pieces and found an entire Nurgle demon army that I'd bought at one point <laughs> and assembled, but had never painted. But then I figured out using contrast paints that I could speed paint that really quickly. But then looking at the player pack for this, and I know you're going to say, play whatever you want, but Looking, thinking back to Sixth Ed, there were more army opportunities in that edition of Warhammer than I think any other Warhammer edition ever, either previous, before that, and then again afterward, simply because of all the back of the book lists, because of everything that was added through Chronicles and White Dwarf issues. There were just so many options. For me, that's the edition that says there's, there's opportunity here to do cool stuff. And I don't want to just, I, I mean, my Warriors of Chaos Army, different models aside, if you compared your list and my list, they're very similar. Like maybe two or three units are different. The, the magic item loadout would have been different. And, you know, yeah. I think that's just because we have similar tastes and that's the models you had and that's the models <laughs> I had. And it's not like we're trying to power game this. Not at all. Um, like, if, I don't think we have the best, most efficient units ever either. But I didn't want to have, I knew what was in your army. And I looked at my army and was like, that's the same army. So I didn't want to do that. And then Nurgle Demon Army was the same thing. It's like, far out, can't do that. And so I kept going in this circle. But then after I talked to you last time, I pulled out uh, a Skaven Army that Patch had painted that I have. And I had put on rounds and I'd been using for Warlords of Erewhon. But then, we, you know what? I'm going to put this on squares, and I'm going to run that for this event. But then, because we moved house and other lockdowns and everything else, I'd kind of forgotten about the army. And I knew it existed, but I forgot how far I got into basing the damn thing. And so, um, again, looking through boxes, I pulled it out, and there it was. The Skaven army. And I went, okay, I'm going to go back to basics. And I'm going to do the thing that I first committed to, like, six months ago. And so I pulled them out, rebased them as in finished gluing them to their new bases that I'd all painted 
um, fixed up all the little mistakes that I'd made in the process of cutting models off of bases and sticking them onto new ones, like there's feet that needed to be repaired. And then I added snow and flock and other things to, to spice it up and then put blood all over the blades of the, the swords because technical paints are awesome. And uh, it is now almost ready to go. I just have to finish literally three weapons teams and a warp lightning cannon that is sitting on my painting table upstairs and I hope to have done today. But dude, going through that merry-go-round of armies <laughs> has pretty much cost me almost two weeks of my vacation. I mean, part of that time I spent five days painting the house and it wasn't like I would have been painting models. But during that time... I was listening to um, your guys' podcast. I was listening to The Old World Lives um, and all sorts of other fantasy YouTube things uh, while I was painting, and it just was like, okay, I'm going to do this army. No, 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 I'm going to do this army. Uh, uh, I'm going to do this army. It was just super frustrating to the point where I actually bought an entire set of bases for my orcs and goblins from Back to Basics because, again, they're on rounds and they need to be on squares, and... Now I'm not doing that. I actually would have played the Orcs and Goblins, but I got a notification that because of COVID uh, and shipping delays and production delays, I wouldn't be able to get the bases to do the Orcs and Goblins before January's event because of all the armies not present, Greenskins were the ones that weren't. And was like, well, I don't think Greenskins were particularly great in 6th Ed., but again, I'm not doing this to win. I'm doing this because it's fun. And I was like, yes, I can put this on the table. No one else will have it. It will be different. It'll be fun. Cool. Uh, but anyway, then I realized the other Skaven was taking a Hell Pit army, which is all the giant monsters, and just was like, well, mm. in that case, I'm just going to take a regular Skaven. Yeah, so, nice. Anyway. So that's been an ordeal. Um, we could, yeah, it's, and it's funny because in the chat, I've, I've seen this transpire. I've I've seen this descent into madness firsthand. (laughs) And it's it's also mainly because I've been on vacation and have time to be like, no, I can do this. No, I can do this. No, I can. And you guys keep saying over and over again, play what you want. And I'm sitting there in the back going, that isn't helping. (laughs) Ooh, a castle. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the but but seeing Skaven in on mass is going to be cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to playing some of these different armies because I've played against I've played against Nick's Vamps, which um which were interesting. I we during our sort of mixed battle, I I have played now Corey's dwarfs, which um Slayer Cult, which is not regular dwarves. For the record, oh. they play very differently. Yeah. Yeah. So Doom Seekers, if anyone listens to our last podcast on Doom, talking about toy soldiers, we give Corey quite a quite a bit of stick. <clears throat> Deservedly. The, the Doom Seekers. <clears throat> because because Brad, there's sixty five points of just of just death. Yeah. Just two of them went into, you know, the the flank of some marauders and the marauders next turn I was just taking the whole like it wasn't even worth me taking the four guys off. I just took the whole sixteen block off. <laughs> wasn't wasn't worth just taking the the four dudes off and you know some of his units have uh strike first mm-hmm. <laughs> always always strike first so that's rough so even if you charge them they're going first and and as you said if you lose your front rank you're not attacking so you're just sitting there now and they have a uh, lot of attacks being slayers 
Yeah, yeah. And he had he had one unit where I, I believe the rule is if if they get killed by something that's a um that is stronger than they are. So if the if your strength value is higher than theirs. <laughs> yes, I saw they, this. They get they get points back. So yeah. like you get the points too, but they're also accruing points back. So then the the difference later if you're if you're totaling up the points isn't isn't that far apart. So. Yeah. Hey, uh, can I so just point out cool. quietly? Do you know who do not have uh, strength five? Skaven. <laughs> Skaven. Yeah. That that's what I'm looking forward to. And when we go away in late Jan, is seeing some of these other armies interact, because between um, you know particularly Matt. Nick and Corey, they've only been playing each other. And then, you know, I've had a couple of games now. We've only ever seen each other's armies. So, mm -hmm. like, um, Pip is bringing Empire. Um, you've got Skaven. Uh, Chris is bringing um, Dark Elves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Mitch, I want to say, is bringing the Wood Elves, I think. So, seeing some of the... Oh, and uh, Jay's bringing High Elves. So, it's mm -hmm. it's going to be great seeing some of these other armies interact and seeing what what sort of everyone does against different matchups, I think is going to be really cool. Yeah, man, 100%. And just just seeing that variety and that variation, I mean, there. yes, there's a couple of Skaven players. Yes, there's a couple of Chaos players. But there is such a great spread. Uh, and the people who are going, yeah, generally doing it, I think, with, uh, I think everyone is actually, now that I think about it, with sort of the right mentality. And pardon yeah. me for you saying the right in that, it's going to be sort of informal. No one's going to take that list because, you know, if you have, and this, I guess, is a danger of a dead edition. I, I went on a couple of uh, sixth ed Facebook groups and was just looking up, you know, look up Skaven, look up, you know, every time I go to pick a new army, I was like, oh, yeah, let me look this up and I'll, I'll just look at some of the posts. And, and it just reminded me of how the rules worked for that. And it was super helpful. But then you also immediately see people being like, in this edition, this unit was the best in this army. And, yeah. you know, people had figured out the efficiency 20 years ago. And now they're still talking about it. They're still like, doing it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, I, I understand what's the best units in the game now. You guys have been talking about it for 20 years. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on. I, I want to do, do something fun and exciting here. But, yeah, it, it's just going to be a good time, man. And it's I – mean, Nick's put a really – He's put a lot of work into the player pack, and it it just looks like mm. a fun narrative day. Yeah, uh, and I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to it, especially uh, the scrubs table. If you have unpainted, <laughs> if you bring unpainted models to this, yeah. uh, it is there's a table with um, you know it's it's going to have like a crappy green rug uh, on it, or it's just going to be a bare tabletop, and it's going to be it's it's just bare. It's so just we're not bare. even. Yeah, so we're not even giving you a, a green rug to play on. You're playing on wood. <laughs> but it's You're like with wood. tin cans and like a couple of boxes as the A couple of boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. uh, you have to, if someone ha does have painted models and they're playing against the unpainted models, the painted player gets gains hatred against the unpainted mm -hmm. models. Yep. Brutal. Yep. The, the other thing I love about the shame table is you won't be allowed to use your tape measure. Instead, you're going this. to be using you're going to be using the tape measure that tailors have. So the the one that you get that's like the the floppy kind of tape measure, um, and you're going to be playing with mishmash dice. Okay, now that I think is hilarious <laughs> because you've seen me play bolt action. I have a dice bag that I bring that is just it it's 
it's like a rainbow threw up in my bag. <laughs> and I'm going to be pulling this out to play regularly. You guys are like, I need match dice for my armies. And I'm like, nah, man, I just have a giant pile of like <laughs> dice here. But it's not like I'm I'm Byron and I'm pulling out my special uh my specially colored dice for my ward saves. It's I don't even look, I reach into the pile and just roll dice. It's amazing because he's so sus when he does it too. You know, like we'll play 30k, you know, and he goes, All right, I'm gonna roll my leadership roll, but I'm using these two dice. <laughs> and it's like okay, Byron. <laughs> if he rolled better, it would probably be a problem. But since he, you know, it like, doesn't right, always buddy. do it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so yeah, the mishmash dice are not only different colors, but different sizes too, which yeah. I know two people's heads in. Yeah. So that's, so that's going to be fun. That's the shame table. That's, we felt it was okay because we've had so long yeah. to paint up. And I, I think it's a thousand points is what I think everyone was aiming at. And sort of, if you could paint more, well, on the day, you know, say if I play Corey or, or Nick, where we've got 2000 points painted, instead of doing a thousand points, we'll do the 2K. Yeah. Um, kind of deal so yeah so 1k painted we we didn't think that was too much to um to ask for before the end of jan considering we started you know back in our last lockdown which was a long one so yeah i think you guys started in july and i tr i jumped in in august so yep yeah yeah nick was nick was trying to nick was trying to get people into it and i remember having a conversation with byron uh we just did a hobby catch up and we were painting and uh byron goes hey has nick messaged you about six i'm like yeah that's silly. <laughs> so to think about that conversation and where I am at the moment mm -hmm. is really is really amusing. It's yeah. Yeah, really amusing. Oh man, it is. It is a blast to go back, and I, and I know that you guys don't necessarily have the nostalgic pull, but if we look globally, uh, two games that have come out of the woodwork recently. Really, I, I am blown away with the international appeal of them is Warhammer 6th Edition and Warhammer yeah. 40,000 2nd Edition. It's like Ooh. in lockdown, people have gone back to their childhood loves and have sort of pulled them out again. And, you know, there are more battle reports for 6th Ed and for 2nd Ed on like YouTube all of a sudden that I'm like, wait, what? Why these? Why now? Uh, but it's crazy to see, and you're seeing podcasts about these. Uh, and yes, kids, yeah. I think that might mean I'm doing a Warhammer 40,000 second ed podcast. I know I've been threatening it for a while, but not like do an episode or two for Cast Eyes. It, it's because during between lockdowns in 2020, uh, Jonathan, who I played Oathmark with, and I sat down and played Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader. Uh, but to to go down that path into to look at the old games it's it's funny to think back to and i'm going to ask you this in a second Jermaine. but if i was to ask you for example what are your favorite games of all time for me i would have to say like bolt action is clearly my most recent true love uh, i've been playing it religiously for years i love it I love the the simplicity, but the depth of the system. I love the setting, but I, I'm also looking at, huh, I'm going to play G.I. Joe games with this and other, you know, reskinning it and using the mechanics because I love the game mechanically. But if I was to go back to like my, my childhood, I basically learned to read playing D&D &D books and games like Car Wars and Ogre and um, Battletech. 
like I just I I was enthralled with the BattleTech lore as a kid, but I never got to play the game very often because nobody played. And I ended up playing against myself a bunch of times. But then when you actually sit down to play that game with someone else, it's a very different system. And God, is it clunky? It's, I don't want to say it's it's just an older system. So having gone back to play that, it didn't. The fluff held up pretty well, but the system didn't to my memories. And I played Car Wars with our buddy Dave Monroe a couple of years ago. And Car Wars was one of my favorite games in the 80s. Absolutely adored it. But it was nigh unplayable in my <laughs> modern terms. It was like the worst driving simulator ever. Although it did have a hilarious end where the only way that my driver would have survived on his last hit point was if he drove his car into a brick wall, which was on fire, to stop the car fast enough for him to get out of the flaming car without dying. And of course, then Dave just ran me over. So that was a great game, but it, and I know, again, when you play things, you know rules and things become faster and, you know, you don't have to think about them as much. But that was really not streamlined as far as modern gaming experiences go. Uh, so I have to say neither one of those tests games really survived the test of time. Um, and going back to play Rogue Trader was wild. Like things that I assume are integral to Warhammer 40,000. All models move six inches. Games are played on tables that are six by four. Games are six turns. None of that was in there until third edition. So to actually go back and play an edition where Space Marines are Toughness 3 was wild. And just being like, I'm sorry, what? How does this work? And it just, it was fun, and I'm glad I went back to play Rogue Trader. But my God, did it not match. And it made me realize that my favorite edition of Warhammer ever, and I was a religious 40K player for, for decades, it's probably third edition. Um, I just love that it what it brought to the tabletop, and I know that's sort of sacrilege because everyone talks about how third killed second, and second's like the golden calf. But like second's weird, but it's a good game. I want to play second because I remember loving and hating that edition, but I remember being super happy when third came out, and I had played in a bunch of the original Baltimore Grand Tournaments for second ed before that and thinking, okay, it's time for something new and was so excited when third ed came out. So I don't know. Uh, Jermaine, if, if I was to ask you, what are your favorite games of all time? Um, Ooh, that's that. Cause you played a lot of games. Yeah, I have, I have, I actually haven't been in the hobby all too long, um, which is a bit of a weird one. So I think I started in 2016 Jesus. Okay, I didn't realize I, that. Yeah, I, I started in 2016. So my, so my my first introduction to war games was actually 40k was just jumping into seventh edition. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy at the GW store was promising me that the new Blood Angels book was around the corner, and that was still two years later after mm. I got into it. <laughs> and ah, I think they took the stories red shirts tell you. <laughs> Yeah, the, he goes. No, they're around the corner. They're around the corner because I bought the um the old battle box for mm -hmm. Blood Angels because they look really cool. So I, I I remember buying that, and he goes, "No, it's around the corner. It's around the corner." And then it came out two years later, and it made the battle box 
kind of redundant to use because I couldn't use the jump pack guys' troops anymore. <laughs> it really, oh, it no. Was, it was strange. It was strange. It was strange. So um, if, if I was to go on at the moment, my favorite game that I've played, and it was one that we played religiously for a long time, uh, I went to CanCon twice for it. It would be Malifaux Second Edition. Yeah, that was a good game, right? Yeah, Malifaux Second Edition, and I'm going to caveat that with Malifaux Second Edition before the third expansion book came out. Yeah. The third expansion book brought in some not some pretty negative play experiences, in my opinion. Um, it brought in some minions that were like minimum three damage, and mm-hmm. minions aren't really meant to do that. And there are a couple of funny things in there, but uh, Malifaux Second Edition. I've got very fond memories of, um, so it's probably it's probably there as my favourite. In in terms of the game system itself, um, Bolt Action is really probably one of the smoother yeah. um, uh, game systems, along with Saga. Saga's yes. really good too. Yeah, Saga's Saga's got a really smooth game system. The, it actually Saga reminds me a lot of Bolt Action. Bolt Action reminds me a lot of Saga. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, de- definitely those those ones stick out in my head. Yeah, man. Uh, Saga is one of those games that I keep meaning to pick up, and I just haven't. Um, what, lockdowns, right? Well, I it's... was because the Magic expansion came out, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Like yep. Fantasy Armies, like I've been wanting to play Saga. I can play Fantasy. Let's go! And then, yep, no. So, one of these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can use yeah. We get. I mean, I've got the book and stuff. So if you ever want a game, we can use you know uh, the fantasy models we've got um, in Age of Magic, which I've had a couple of games of, and it's very fun. Oh, it's really man. good. Yeah, really mean, good. It's just it's a smooth. It's just a nice smooth system. I think you and I need to actually just like take a week <laughs> and just play through it. Just game. <laughs> it was like yeah, that, I think so, man. It was like when I went to play Jonathan. Um, we both looked at each other and said, "Well, here's a list of game systems that I've been wanting to play." What do you have? And what do I have? Oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And it's funny. We both had all the models for just about all of them painted for both system for everything. And was yeah. like, oh, yeah, we could play any of these games. Crap. That doesn't narrow it down. Ugh. So, yeah. Ugh, so many good games. Speaking of which, um, I know that you are a big fan of Warcry. And you've played oh, yeah. a lot of it. In fact, you've just painted up yeah. another set of Warcry terrain for this fantasy event. I did, I did, I did, and like I said on um, on dudes talking about toy soldiers, it broke me. <laughs> it really did. Because it, it's it's really, really ornate stuff, isn't it? It is. It is. I remember assembling it, going, "Oh, this would be cool. I could knock this out pretty quick. It's a lot of wood. You know, it's going to be a lot of brown. It's going to be a lot of dry brushing. That'd be cool." And then I looked at it closely, mm-hmm. and for a for you know, it's you're you're playing in the chaos wastes, right? So. For chaos, as bad as they are, and you know, as as big and brutish, geez, they love to bedazzle everything. <laughs> Jewels to, and skulls on everything. Man, if they can put trim on something, it's going on. So they've got trim on mining equipment. There's mining equipment we're talking about here. They've got trim on it, and it's nice. So that kind of broke me, mate. To be honest, that I didn't expect it to be that quite an adventure like that. So. Um, yeah, but I did paint that up for our event in Aluka because the the last Warcry box I got, I think that terrain you can stretch over two tables. Yeah. Um, mixed with the other Warcry stuff that I've got. So, yeah, Warcry and that 
the new box that came out, Red Harvest. So, mm-hmm. you know, you would have seen it. They have those sort of conveyor belts of, of um, what's the metal that's on there? Uh, Varanite. Oh, okay, yeah. But, yeah, so Varanite. So essentially it's, I guess if you mix lava with a jewel, that's what Varanite is. It's extremely Ooh. hot. So it's extremely volatile. So what happens in the game? is if you activate one of these uh, slouses, slouses, I I think I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, sluices, yep. Yep. So if you you activate one of those, if you're standing on it, like my guy was, (laughs) he gets uh, 2d6 damage. Or is it 3d6 damage? It's really brutal because it took him out. And if you're within three inches of this, you cop d6 splash damage. Yeah, it's a game of hot potato. Yeah, which, as you know, in Warcry, your your sort of pleb models can be anywhere between 8 to 10 wounds. Yeah, I was going to say that. So, that will wipe you right out. Yeah, so if you roll a 6, you know, and you've got 8 wounds, you're on you're, you're knocking on death's door. And if you happen to be standing on it and you're a minion, you're, you're, you're probably leaving the game super early. So yeah. <laughs> it's really deadly. It's really cool. And they've got these sort of Varanite pits all over the place and they have the same rules as when you knock someone off the edge, but instead of rolling for damage, you just take that person off. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Mm. You just take that person off. So it's super deadly, which, which, which is great. I've had a couple of games now with red harvest um, and highly recommend it. It's really fun. It's just so brutal. I mean, Warcry is brutal anyway, Yeah. but uh, adding this little element into it, really cool and it's exciting to see what they might do for the next box because if they're mm-hmm. kind of doing that you know i wonder what the next box will will, will bring so that's that's been fun they that's do fun. really bring interesting new elements into the game with each one of these new boxes you they know do. sometimes you could be cynical with going yeah it you know do you really need a whole new board of terrain do you really need this that or the other thing does there need to be another big gw box which of course are really expensive down here in australia but yep. then when they value add it like that and you really it really does change the way you play the game if that you are really invested in that game system man they are giving you some great new ways to play it's cool yeah yeah i mean look that terrain that i got in that box yes the box was very pricey but the way i see it is I get all that terrain. I get a new way to play the game that I love. I get these two crews that look amazing because there's in in one of the crews there's that guy that looks like he steps straight off the cover of a Conan the Barbarian mm-hmm. book, which is yep. amazing. Um, so you get all that and that terrain. Like we're going to use that for our event for sixth. Mm-hmm. I'm planning to use it for Necromunda. I will use it for 30k. Exactly. I will. I've used it for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Mm-hmm. We've we've thrown you know, slouses at each other. So in that respect, I, I feel like I actually get pretty phenomenal value out of their boxes because they, they get stretched pretty far. I mean, terrain's one of those things, right? If you have well-painted or just good quality terrain, it's amazing how many different game systems you can use it for. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a, a lot of bolt-action terrain that I've been using for all kinds of game systems recently, and it fits perfectly every single time. I know yep. for the January event, they Nick put out the call to say, hey, if anyone has some terrain, you know, people bring some stuff. And I was like, yeah, which one do you want? Uh, <laughs> I've got the Eastern European Village, which I used for uh, Warlords of Erewhon as just sort of mm-hmm. generic fantasy village. Perfect. I've got like 
snowy woods with huts and, you know, this sort of thing. It's straight out of the beginning of Conan. Yes, that works. And I recently got a new desert table, brilliant new mat from uh, Geek Villain. Gorgeous. And then I have some of the pre-painted Battlefield in a Box new desert uh, terrain. Uh, so like ruins, Egyptian, like that theme. And oh, that's cool. I didn't realize when I ordered them, I thought I was going to use a lot of it for bolt action, for like a, a, a ruined desert, like playing like the beginning of The Mummy where you have the battle with the the ruins in the background. I was thinking yep. that might be a fun table for bolt action. And uh, I didn't quite realize mm, how many skulls were on some of the buildings and was like, oh, <laughs> this feels very grimdark. But I was able to use that as a Kemri table when I played John. Um, it was nice. my Chaos Warriors versus his orcs in the ruins of Kemri. And I think that would be perfect for this sixth edition day. Uh, yeah, wow, you've got a hate. So yeah. I got, yeah, there's there's some some bits and pieces. But again, man, oof having nice quality terrain and being able to put models on it it's it's just like the frame for you know if you, if if your army and the other person's army are painted that's like the big beautiful picture and then the terrain that you're playing on it's like the frame that brings it all together and really you know makes it sing oh feels so good right it does yeah it does uh, what's the saying the terrain is the third player mm-hmm. in the game and i I really do think, that, and I really enjoy painting terrain. I I use terrain painting for if I haven't painted in a few weeks, mm-hmm. and I just want to go kind of get the feel back and paint something, but not you know something ornate like a Marvel Crisis Protocol character. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not what I want to start back on with no. because I'm going to be a little bit rusty. So, you know, slapping some paint on some washes and dry brushing uh, large portions of walls and stuff is a nice way to get back into it. So, and you know, having having terrain on hand, there's never been a time in gaming so far where I've gone, oh, I've just got too much terrain. I've never yeah. <laughs> I've never said that. I've never said that. And yeah, the terrain that I use, like I think you would have seen some pictures of, you know, us having some Marvel games on mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like a Necromunda looking board, yeah. on a on a very grim dark looking board. And Marvel's cool because it's like, well, it's comics. They've fought everywhere. Exactly, right? It's not, <laughs> they've fought everywhere. I, I actually want to get out my old, like, Western stuff that I used to use for Malifaux mm-hmm. for, for Marvel because you're like, well, it's comics. So I, I think I could use that too. So, um, yeah, terrain. Terrain's definitely, if you've got, it doesn't even need to be painted that nicely, truth be told. It's just, if there's some paint on it, yeah. And, you know, both you and your opponent are playing with painted models. It makes all the difference. Absolutely. Um, I was playing, I got invited by a friend of the show, Mark Newman, uh, a couple of friends and I, uh, Viv from Knights of Dice, Lee Avery, who's been on the show before. Uh, we all went to his house to play Gunfighter's Ball, which is a Western game. Oh, cool. And Mark, during lockdown, took advantage of Foreground having a big sale, and he bought an entire Old West town. Like it's an entire town. And then he went out and also bought all the scattered terrain that you would need for that. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's astonishing the detail. It is literally oh, like cool. an old West town to the, you know, the, the troughs for the horses to drink and the posts to tie the horses up. You have a corral um, with horses off of the main street. You know, you got the jail where you usually open up and there's everything's inside. Like it, oh, the cool. saloons, 
the the train station with the tracks and the boxes on the platform like you name it the detail is exquisite and it's all there the cacti the outhouse like it it's astonishing and just to sit i mean i'd never played uh, gunfighters ball it was super bloody but super fun but man having that both playing with a good group of guys and being walked through a new game system with someone who knows what they're doing super you know super fun super helpful but also to then play on that table with beautifully painted models that Mark had painted prior to our coming over man it was so cool it was yeah. so cool and just going oh god i really don't need to paint another western town for my own collection <laughs> uh but it definitely made me want to paint some cowboys faux show sure. oh that's awesome well jermaine i know that we've been talking about preparing for this january event and mm-hmm. i do feel a little funny in that we're talking about something and people might then message the page later saying Hey, where is this sixth edition event? I have a sixth edition army. Can I come play too? Uh, And normally I would say 100% yes, but no. Um, This is uh, just a couple of friends getting together. We've rented uh, a lodge outside of the city, away from humanity as a whole. And we're all uh, sort of self-quarantining beforehand to make sure that none of us get pinged. (laughs) Um, I got pinged to be tested five times the week of Christmas, twice on Christmas Day, and I had to wait three hours to get PCR tested on Christmas Day. And thankfully, A, I was negative, but also B, my father-in-law was sitting looking at me at the dining room table at the time because otherwise he would have had to isolate by himself because we were the only people he was seeing on Christmas. And thankfully, he was already over to the house. So he got to spend the day with my wife while I was waiting in line to be tested. And then we got to do Christmas dinner. So anyway, we're all doing that beforehand, um, given the Omicron craziness at the moment. So that is not actually open to the public. But if you are interested in Sixth Ed, there is going to be a public event coming up, right? In, In Ballarat, just outside of the city? Yeah, correct. Correct. I believe it's called Uprising. And it's on the 26th of March, so it's not it's not too far away. No, it's not at all, man. Uh, I'm 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 looking at it out of the out of the corner of my eye, going, hmm. I just spent all that time basing Skaven. Hmm. Oh uh, yeah, yep. I, I know. I'm definitely interested. I know Corey and Nick um, mm-hmm. are going, as well as I think Matt, uh, who's also on the show as well. Nice. Uh, so hopefully there will be a few of us uh, that do go. I'm I'm pretty keen on going. I've got a couple of things to work out, but. 90% sure I'm going at this point. Yeah, man. I think I might have to join you if you are looking for company in the car. Ah, uh, For sure, man. Always. Well, I know we've mentioned it several times in the podcast, but I do want to make sure that I draw an underline under this again, especially since I missed the first opportunity for the plug. Dudes Talking About Toy Soldiers podcast is the show that you are on. It's the show that with Nick and Corey and obviously the other guys. Um, and yes, I have been unfair to Corey in this episode. Sorry, Corey, <laughs> except not sorry. I'm still sticking yeah. dwarf heads to my yeah. banner poles and I'll see you on yeah. the tabletop. I, I can't wait to see that, by the way, because this this escalation of the amazing, <laughs> I think is going to be great. And um, yeah, after playing Corey's Doomseekers, I'm not apologizing. I'm, yeah. I've, I've been fine with the content. I'm going to have to figure out uh, how to kill Doomseekers, and I'm going to have to figure it out fast. But, you know, it'll be fine, right? Yeah. Uh, Skaven, yeah. I'll have 10,000. 
if 10,000 rats don't solve the problem, I'll send in 10,000 more. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I definitely don't know what I'm doing. But you guys uh, don't just talk Warhammer Fantasy Old Edition. Um, the show is, I wouldn't say predominantly Warhammer uh, 30K. It, it, it does have a strong 30K element, though. Um, you guys all play 30K. In fact, yeah. you guys are actually Nick from that show, who we've mentioned several times, our old buddy Nick Beatty, the guy who made the most incredible uh, Tiger 2, King Tiger, and we talked mm-hmm. to him earlier on Cast Ice about said army. Um, Nick is running a 30K event, hopefully, given COVID and all of that madness, <laughs> in the months to come. Um, can yeah, you correct. talk a little bit about that? Because that also looks really good, and I might have to finish yeah, my deck Yeah, correct, card. correct. So if you guys look it up on Facebook, it's the Vault of Enteriga, and poor Nick has tried to run this twice now, and mm. COVID has come in uh, twice and kind of destroyed it for him. So Nick's going to attempt to run it again between the 30th, 30th of um, April to the 1st of May. So it is the Saturday and the Sunday. And as Brad alluded to before, I've never seen someone put so much effort into a player's pack. Uh, it's it, Nick's very, very, very good with his player's packs. They're very detailed. Um, the games are always fun because they're not always your traditional let's run at each other um, and just murder each other. Um, it's pretty themy. Mm-hmm. So, and there's always a lot of fluff to go along with it too. So, you know, definitely reading his player's pack, the one thing it definitely does is immerse you in what he's trying to do, which is always great. So he he goes to, he goes to extreme lengths to get this done. So yeah, Vault of Interrogate, it's going to be really, really fun. 30K, um, you know, good group of dudes. Uh, And this time I believe Nick is holding it in Geelong. Um, And for those of you wondering, that is not Jim in the background. Jim is sound asleep. Uh, I believe Jermaine's dog is making a little bit of a whimper. Sorry, Jermaine, it's going through yeah, that is me. I'm sorry. He um, he's just been fixed, so he's not not the happiest friend. boy at the moment. Her friend. Yeah. Well, when we start saying um, "poor doggo," it's I think it's definitely time to call it a day. Jermaine, as always, thank you so much for coming on and talking shop. I think I blathered a bit too long on this one, but brother, it is always a pleasure to talk shop, and I'm looking forward to playing games with you, man. Always a pleasure to be on, man. Thank you for having me. Man, oh, I can't wait to put this on the tabletop and make fun of Corey, but also to have fun <laughs> with our friends, and it's going to be a good time. Oh, uh, just make fun of Corey. Yeah. It, that's fun. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we have to go with what our buddy Casey always says. Guys, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that no matter what game you're playing, living or dead, we hope that you're having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Seriously, stay safe. Good night.